Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world, classical education, old books, old things by young and handsome men. Thank yeah, thanks. AJ got um, that wrong last time, so thanks for correcting that. Oh, yes. Yeah, appreciate so that. we are not old anyway. They can see us. Oh, my word. You're right. <laughs> if they subscribe on YouTube. I don't know what you're selling, but we didn't they can think, see we didn't think this through. For, oh, we didn't think this through. Anyway, um, <laughs> we, we are three teachers, educators, same thing. Um, at a classical school in Austin, <laughs> Texas. Um, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined with AJ Hannenberg and Thomas Mangby. Whoa! Oh, hey, yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey. Got to keep the listeners on their toes. Seriously, Change it up. Keeping me on my toes. That um, was terrifying. Um, we now do the end of the beginning. You can find us at classicalstuff.net. You can tweet at us at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L, stuff on the twits. Um, you can patronize us on Patreon by finding Classical Stuff on Patreon, and we've got some tiers for and some fears. The following, no. like um, <laughs> we got some tiers that you can uh, subscribe to with um, prizes. Prizes? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting awards. Oh, you're getting yeah, rewards. rewarded. Yeah, I like that. Um, and that helps keep the podcast going and growing. Uh, we can do more stuff. Yep. Cool. And there's um, much more audio on there if you want to hear more from that's us. That's right. So we do between yep. episode banter where we talk about stuff, stuff, maybe not so much current stuff, but we talk about stuff that maybe isn't really classical stuff. We spend a lot of time talking about the markets. Our last two haven't been, though. The last, so. And then we also talk maybe about like demographics or... My favorite is when we just continue the conversation from the last episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. And then just keep recording. Thomas yeah. and, and I probably banter about the fourth turning. We got to do <laughs> it. Bit, yeah, yeah. Anyway. For sure. Fun things. Okay. Um, but I'm feeling pretty good. Just like in general? Yeah. Okay. And I, I, Thomas, I know you're feeling good. I'm feeling good. Yeah, definitely. Hanberg, are you feeling good? Nah. You're not feeling good? Well, know. maybe. So 66% of this podcast, <laughs> I would say, are great, great men. Yeah, great. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Graham, you and I are the great we men. We are great men. Podcast. That's exactly um, yeah. uh, AJ is a normie. <laughs> and, um, I exist mostly to reproduce. He exists mostly to reproduce to um, um, just to sort of continue on the status quo. Whereas us great men, yes. we have like a sort of a, a vision of the future, the way things yes. ought to be. And we should be able to do whatever. We are willing to bring that future in, through yes. um, a soft hand mm, or, or a heart clenched mm, fist. Yes. Um, but anyway, uh, to quote one of my other favorite podcasts, I'm going to leave this in the cold hands and warm embrace of Mr. Hannenberg. Why are my hands cold if my embrace is <laughs> warm? Podcast are you Do I have like to? circulation <laughs> problems? Seriously. The cool hands and warm embrace? Cool hands? Never, Why yeah. are my hands cold? Oh. Yeah, seriously. They don't question it on their pockets. They just start going. I don't understand it. <laughs> uh, I'll be frank. I don't get it. My yeah. hands are very warm. Okay. The warm hands and cool My embrace, embrace is cold. It's weird. <laughs> cold core oh, there we warm go. hands. Okay. So uh, today we are talking about Feod... Is it Fyodor? Not Theodore. It's Fyodor. Fyodor with an F. Fyodor. Fyodor. Dostoevsky's book, Crime and Punishment. And the funny thing is when I said I was doing this for the episode today... Yeah, both of my compatriots yeah. were like, "We've already that done it," yeah. and they thought we'd already done it because it just seems like one of those ones we should have done. We reference it, we reference the book all the time. Mm-hmm. We do scrolled to find it. And yes, couldn't see yeah, it they both anything. scrolled. I scrolled this yeah. morning to see if we had done it, and we hadn't. So it seems like it's about to time go. to do Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. We Although, do it senior year. Our goofy titles mean that uh, Control Fing on a website is a little <laughs> more difficult to find. <laughs> that things. is true. I hear your criticism <laughs> and I reject it. Good, uh, I appreciate that. I like having silly titles, and I'm going to keep doing it. You like calling our episode on poetry potty? <laughs> That's I hear that. your criticism <laughs> and I reject it. Uh, so <laughs> That's good. So uh, yeah, today we're talking about crime and punishment. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a like real oh so basic outline of Dostoevsky's life. I think you can find more of that on other podcasts where we talk about do- books Dostoevsky has written. Or you can just go to Wikipedia. Like, <laughs> yeah, stop being to? stinking lazy. <laughs> go look him up. Uh, wait, no, listen then, to our podcast. No, no yeah. listen to our podcast. And then, uh, and then I'm going to do, um, the, here's, here's how, how I've planned it in my head, and we'll see how it goes, where I'm going to kind of do a real basic summary of the book, but I'm guessing that most of you have already read it or you're maybe a teacher coming here to learn more about it. And in that case, you, if you haven't, I'm, I'll give you enough to go on. And if right. you have, then I'll actually give you some content. Maybe you can teach to your students or may help to deepen your reading of the book. Because uh, a lot of times when I do books, I just sort of summarize it. And that's a, that's super fun when it's goofy mythology that involves uh, Thor in a dress. But it's not <laughs> yeah. as fun if we're talking about crime and punishment because mm-hmm. the book is depressing. <laughs> So it's about crime and punishment. It's about crime and punishment. So here are some basics about his life. It's kind of depressing. There's oh, oh, oh. 
Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Kind of about crime and punishment. Okay, so he was born in 1821 in November, and he eventually died in 1881, so that's a good 60 years. Uh, he was born to a father who was a doctor that eventually got his his coat of arms so he became gentry uh so he was you know he wasn't poor his mom was really well learned and he grew up learning from her about all kinds of writers and poetry and all kinds of stuff and then eventually he went into i think a military school and shortly after he got out of military school he became a lieutenant and then did not like that very much and resigned and to commence a life living off of his pen he wrote a short novella called poor folk and got immediate acclaim with some oh. really important critics. And everyone was like, oh, he's like the next big thing. And then his next few novels were kind of flops. <laughs> and then he was kind of sullen and withdrawn and not very friendly. And so everyone was like, well, he's, they kind of booted him out of the circles. And then he got involved with a bunch of people who discussed utopian socialism. Oh, he became uh-oh. part of a, a circle. <laughs> and as you can imagine, the the czar, the head of Russia, was not, not super into ending serfdom and right. implementing socialism. And so they got in really big trouble. He got arrested and put in prison, even though he was pretty, pretty adamant that he was not about disseminating illegal propaganda, although maybe his friends were. He, he got outed, right, as, as being part of a dissenting circle. And so... He goes to prison and then they are basically sentenced to death, or at least that's the sentence that he receives. He is carted to a village square and lined up to be shot by guns in a firing squad. And he thinks he's going to die. And so he is not happy about this, obviously. And right after, like he was, he was like second row, right? So the first row is up there about to be shot and a guy runs up and he's like, the SAR has just commuted your sentence. Just kidding. So no one died. Nobody died. And then instead they all went to a work camp in Siberia. That's not just a funny joke. That's a real thing that Russia used to do. They used to send people to work camps in Siberia. So he went and it was terrible. We're talking one bathroom for 200 people. We're talking, he, he had his first bout with epilepsy there. The sanitation was terrible. The food was awful. He only had, I think a new Testament to read. Right. And then he it was generally a really bad experience. He would eventually come out and write about it. Um, The rest of his life is while he was in jail, he becomes convinced that what's going to save the world are like the good down home values of the common man. Right. Hmm. Like good personal virtues. And enough with this, all this intelligentsia nonsense and all the smart people are trying to figure out how to make the world a better place. And they suck at it. And what's really going to be better is good people working hard, doing their own thing. And. He is a gambler. and so he this, became more conservative as he got older. Yeah, I think so. And one of my favorite facts about him is that he was a pretty adamant gambler. And at one point he traveled and he was kind of leading this affair with this girl. And he promised one of his publishers that he would deliver a book in just an insane amount of time. It was like two months. And if he failed, then the publisher got all the rights to publish all of his previous wow. material for free without paying him anything. So the publisher could just publish willy-nilly. And... W- he hired a stenographer and he pulled it he off. Good. Okay. And That's I think terrifying. it was called The Gambler, <laughs> weirdly enough. That's funny. And I think he actually eventually married that woman and oh. she kind of put his affairs in order and figured out his finances and helped him to become the writer that he now yeah. is. I'm, I'm sort of glossing over the rest of his life. It's pretty interesting. Yes. It's not the most interesting writer's life I've ever read, but it's it's pretty well up there. So that's Dostoevsky himself. Okay. Some of that, those shades of meaning might come into play in the novel. So, Graham, mm. can you give me, I, I'm, I'm going to spring this on him, sure. he doesn't know this is coming, can you give me a five-minute summary of sort of the ideas that were rising up in Russia at the time? Oh, sure thing. This is a lecture he gives to our students, so I, I figured he'd be okay with this. Yeah, so you have in Russia, uh, Russia's always kind of been a little bit behind, at least during the Enlightenment, Russia was always behind these other countries in terms of modernizing or getting out of a more medieval way of, of existing, an agrarian system. And so you had you know, the English Re- Revolution in the 17th century or whenever it was. You had the French Revolution in the 18th, um, uh, the end of, yeah, the 18th century. Um, and Russia never really had it, but all of the intelligentsia or the bourgeois in Russia kind of cast their eyes towards the, the books that were being written in other parts of the world and were trying to think of how they could apply it to Russia. Um, eventually... Um, these more, uh, uh, what, what eventually grew, these are sort of the seeds of communism, um, but what grew, um, I'm just trying to think of how to, how to phrase it. Um, an emphasis on seeing man purely as a, in a material way um, was popular and in vogue, and then how can we organize society with 
purely material people in order to better society. And so these ideas were hopping up of, well, we need to get rid of these old superstitious ways of kicking out the Tsar and kicking out this sort of divinely ordered kingdom. Um, and if we just get the smartest and best people in centralized positions of authority, we can use modern science to better organize human existence. And this is, this is sort of, you know, what you would classically call uh, a progressive idea in terms of, of human society. Um, so this is that utopian socialism that we're talking about, that um, you organize men not according to um, a Christian cosmos, or you don't organize men according to a king, um, or even a constitution or a charter. You organize men basically by um, uh, trying to focus it on materialistic scientific principles. It's probably how they would have described it. Really, it just sort of centralizes power into in, into a ruling class um, that um, wanted that was ultimately utilitarian in nature. So if you need to kill somebody in order to bring more food to millions of people, you kill that person. Um, and uh, eventually this, this gets turned into the, the communist revolution of, the, of that the, um, the sort of disenfranchised bourgeois wanted to become and wanted to be that ruling class. And they thought that the, you could do that by rousing the proletariat working man to overthrow uh, the ruling class. Turns out proletariat working man do doesn't care. really care about yeah. that kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> um, but the disenfranchised bourgeois cares really deeply about becoming the enfranchised bourgeois and is willing to sp spill blood in order to do it. And if and they have to sacrifice the working man, they're going to do if it. If they're going <laughs> to sacrifice some working man in order to, in order to have, you know, sort of it be better in the future, well, then so be it. And that's eventually what ended up happening in Russia. Um, so the ideas that were percolating along were sort of couched in... The, um, in, yeah, a materialistic view of human nature and this sort of scientific determinism as well as um, um, logical positivism, which we don't really need to talk about. Um, but this, basically this view that there are better ways to organize society and these smart people who are doing it based on pragmatic and utilitarian means should be the ones that are doing it. And it ended up being a very, very violent way of a very, very violent revolution, whereas... The English and the French Revolution was was violent, um, whereas the English one, well, it was pretty violent in England too. Right. Um, but anyway, but they but all those revolutions had slightly different flavors to them based on how early in history uh, they came. So yeah, that's kind of is that was that enough for you to go off? Is yeah, that, that was good. So we yeah. got socialism, we got communism. All of that is kind of on the rise and in vogue. Yeah, and if we want to sort of define the terms. Um, socialism ends or ends up being that you have a centralized state control over resources, money, industry, and um, and that, and then and so you get the famous and five-year plans, right? You have these sort of famous plans right. wherein you are going to um, pull the strings for everything. You were, so you don't have a market that is determining how these things are working out. You have a centralized um, uh, means of control of a, how are these things are going to work out. Um, yeah. Cool. Perfect. That's good. Okay. So the novel opens and we are introduced to this character, Raskol Raskolnikov Romanovich. No, Rodion. Rodion Romanovich. Raskolnikov. Raskolnikov. Uh, Heck of a name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's a lot Heck of, of ours. Yeah. Um, and so this, have you, have you read, you read the novel yes. with us, right? Not uh, with you. Uh, uh, separately? I, I read it for Summer Bingo, two, uh, not this recent one, but the one before. Okay, so yeah. you're uh, you're all over this. Yeah, sure. Can you can you describe? No, uh, okay, I would. Yeah, you also definitely do all that. What do you remember? Do you do you like about of, How did you picture him? Yeah, uh, he's um, like disaffected, kind of idealistic guy. Um, doesn't have much direction in life, uh, mm -hmm. and is in his head too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that? Uh, Am I, is that too simplistic a description of him? No, that's good. He's he's 23. Yeah. He's good looking. He's kind of dark haired, dark eyed, has a really silly top hat that he, and then like all the rest of his clothes are in tatters. He doesn't have good boots. He's kind of He's barely, naturally melancholy. Yeah. yeah, I would say <laughs> naturally melancholy is probably an understatement. At the point that we meet him, he is sort of like hiding in this tiny little cupboard of an apartment he has like a spider and just mm -hmm. thinking all day. At one point, his serving woman kind of comes up and she's like, what are you what are you doing? And he's like, I'm thinking. She's like, don't you want a job? And he's like, I have a job. She's like, what is it? And he's like, thinking. 
so that's what he's, he's he sounds doing. like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. He right, was a yeah. student. He is no longer a student. We find out later that he just he couldn't make the payments, and so he stopped. He stopped being a student. He doesn't have his degree. But there, there's sort of a in Russia at the time. There's a status thing that comes along with being a student. If you're a student, everyone's like, oh, all mm-hmm. right. So you're like the real deal. Right. So he still kind of has that going for him, but he never really finished the job. Right. He's, he's, he's a, a kid from a small town who's gone to the big city to go to college. Mm-hmm. And when he went to the big city in college, he got mean. <laughs> hmm. Was he not? I don't remember. Did they describe him before going to school? Was he not? The way he was always a little bit sullen. He was always okay. a little he bit sullen. like prideful and, yeah. and thought himself above everybody else. Okay, but uh, going to the big city and and being like a hotshot philosophy major that changed him. Yeah, wasn't a healthy place to be. Yeah. So a couple of things happen early in the novel that are important. One of these things is he meets a guy named Marmaladov. Now Marmaladov is a kind of portly gentleman who drinks a lot and used to have a position in government, and no, now no, because of his desperate drinking, no longer has a position in government. He's partially a holdover from what was originally a separate book called The Drunkards. Um, And there were two books that eventually became one book. And so he is where, like, the the, uh, the book, The Drunkards, I think, was going to focus more on the drinking issue, and mm-hmm. drinking does pop up all over the novel, but it feels to me like Marmaladov is sort of a holdover from this, and his name literally means jam or jelly. So think about a large person filled with jelly that drinks way too much alcohol, and you've pretty much got, got Marmaladov. Mm-hmm. He speaks in one of those dignified, like, come here, young man, I'm going to tell you my story, um, and, like, you, tries you, to keep it together. How do you do that in Russian, though? That's the real question. It translates. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. And and so he turns out he's been like sleeping on hay barges and hasn't been home in two weeks. And eventually Raskolnikov will go and meet his family and they are in really dire straits. And so he leaves him a little bit of money and then off he goes. Another important thing that happens is he hears a conversation in a pub about a woman who is a pawnbroker. And the woman who's a pawnbroker is old. Yep. She's really mean to her sister uh, Liza, Liza Vetta. No, Liza Vetta is the pawnbroker. No, Liza Vetta is a sister. Uh, the pawnbroker is like Aliena. Uh, Elena. Some or other. Yeah. She just knows. The, I just call her the pawnbroker. Yeah. She, they pretty much call her the pawnbroker through almost the entire book. So Elena, the pawnbroker and her sister, Liza Vetta. So the pawnbroker is apparently really miserly and she's not very nice. If you come and you pawn something about giving it back, she's always squeezing the very last penny out of you and she doesn't help anybody. In fact, it turns out that when she dies, she's going to give all of her money to a monastery so the monastery can pray for her own soul's salvation. That's her plan. So <laughs> it's, and she's terrible to her sister. Generally, it's it's thought that she like kind of beats her and abuses her. And this other sister is not, not fully there. She's in probably the retarded. She's probably some sort of mental retardation. Yeah. Some sort of, uh, yeah, developmental disability. Right. And so that she treats her not nice is not a very cool thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So he hears these two guys talking in a bar and the two and the one guy about says about just a terrible person. Right. With yeah. a lot of cash. A, ter- a, a terrible person, person with a lot right. of cash yes. and he says what we should do is we should kill her and then use her cash for everybody else to make everybody's lives better, right? If we can remove her, we're taking away a negative in the society and we're doing a whole net positive, right? Which is dis- yeah. disseminating her cash to bring a whole bunch of people out of poverty. He says how many guys are would make amazing things in Russian society. They've got new ideas and fresh perspectives and they just need a little leg up. Um, how many of those guys would benefit from getting her money? Hmm. This is where I always joke, Thomas, at the real problem with the, if the story of, of crime punishment is a lack of, lack of liquidity. But anyway. What you really want is a liquid market. What you really need is you need yeah. like a lending, a, you know, some lending. Do a... <laughs> Some entrepreneurial lending. <laughs> this makes me nervous. Venture capital in Russia. No. Yeah, yes. uh, oh, my word. Uh, when you're reading this with the students, do any of them find this argument compelling at this point? Do you all talk about that? Unfortunately, many do. Oh, yes. Okay. And they it, will find it compelling for a while. Because even uh, just having heard you describe it that way, like, there's a logic to what he's saying, right? Like that's, this is what I appreciate about the story, right? He, he's not painting a, a villain who's just like... Um, just he's not he's totally not the joker the chaos exactly. for the sake yes. of chaos like, he's at, he has reasons for what he's doing and in his mind they're noble reasons right yeah, well, yeah. so far he's just hearing this conversation at a bar yeah, this yeah. little like these two guys is having a bs conversation in a bar being like yeah. we should someone just, should go kill them we should ice that girl and get her cash right. yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah and so he but very quickly turns out that these are the same ideas that he's been having what, himself yeah. about this very same person right this pawnbroker elena how he's going to maybe do the job and take her out. Now, he happens to think that 
murderers on the whole are, pr- are pretty bad at the business. They can't yeah. do it very well. There's a sickness that comes beforehand. And then during the event, just because they don't have their wits about them, they're going to screw it up. But he, because he's been thinking about the whole thing and he's been planning it out in his head, he's going to do it. He's going to do it better. That's fine. But right? He's going he's gonna to work this out and really nail it. That does not happen. It or, does not yeah, happen. Yeah. Uh, he's mostly kind of sick and spaced out. And then as he's like thinking through this whole thing, should I kill her? Should I not kill her? Is it okay? Is it not okay? He happens upon her sister in the market who pretty much says her, she's not going to be at home at seven o'clock tomorrow. And at this point, he feels sucked by fate into doing the deed. He knows that the pawnbroker is going to be alone by herself in the apartment and available. And he's even said he's going to come back and pawn a thing in a few days. And so she's primed for him showing up. Mm-hmm. And so there's all this. No, right, maybe I'm getting that wrong. No, no, you're right. I'm right. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought I was right. So he, she knows he's around. He says, I might have something for you in a couple of days. It's a cigarette case. And so he he just feels like everything is conspiring him to to make him do this thing, to take out the pawn group pawnbroker and snagger money so he goes home and he promptly falls asleep which is what any good murderer someone who's Would planning do, right. a heist should do is just pass out for a really long time and then he wakes up and he's like oh my gosh it's six o'clock or whatever it's like an hour or two before it happens and so he sews a little loop in his jacket and then he goes and finds an axe and he slips it into the loop so he can walk with his arms free and not have anybody be the wiser that he's just walking around town with an axe He slips up to her apartment, hands her this wooden block enclosed in paper, and while she's trying to get it open to see this cigarette case, he uses the blunt edge of the axe, and he bonks her a few times real good and kills her, and tries to stay away from all the blood. Um, He pulls a little pouch off her neck and tries to grab her keys, and then he goes and he rifles through, starts rifling through her drawers, and he can't seem to figure out which keys go to which things, and he's really panicking, and he's having a really hard time thinking straight. He gets a few things, jams them into his pockets, and then he's like, wait, maybe she's alive. So he runs back and he looks at her, Real hard. Yep, she's dead. And so then he runs back and he starts rifling through some stuff again. And then he hears steps in the hall, right. uh, steps in the apartment. And he comes back into the room to find the sister, the sister right. Liza Vetta, who is horrified at seeing this dead body on the floor. And so he takes his axe and he does the job a second time and kills a second person. We right. will later find out was pregnant. So all in all, three deaths. The whole time, the door had been open. Right. He had left it open and he's cursing himself and he all of a sudden suspects that he's losing his own dang mind because he can't seem to get the details right. And then he's horrified by this. And what else is he missing? And then he he starts like he accidentally gets blood all over himself from that second kill. And so now he's got to wash everything off. So he starts washing everything off really frantically. And then uh, some he shuts the door and then locks it. And then some people come and he, he basically barely escapes. By Mm -hmm. detection, by like several twists of fate that let him slip into some doorways and slip behind a passing cart and basically make it out of there without being seen at all. He goes and he drops the axe back off where he found it and then goes back into his room and promptly again falls falls asleep. asleep. So he is not the best murderer. And this this sickness that he described that he thought came over criminals absolutely takes over. Yeah, it happens to him. So whether or not the crime causes the sickness or the sickness causes the crime, it's it's kind of left up to you to decide. Yeah. But it happens to him. He is not the murderer that he imagines himself to be. Don't we eventually find out he missed most of the money also? <laughs> yeah. So he get, he gets like 10 bucks or whatever. Like he, he gets way less than he expected mm-hmm. to even yes. for doing whatever. The, yeah, even for killing these three people. So she had thousands of rubles right. stashed away and he probably only got, what would you say? Like 100 pounds, 100, 100 rubles. 100 rubles, like nothing even worth the effort, right? right? She had so much money just shoved away in drawers and he missed all of it. Um, so we find out the next day as he kind of wakes up that he's been called to the police station. And he freaks him out, obviously. Yeah. But he goes to the police station and finds out his landlady is just suing for rent because he hasn't paid rent in several months because he's a bum and because he doesn't have <laughs> any money. And he had kind of flirted with her and there was a promise to marry her daughter that didn't quite work out. And so he thought he had kind of a sweet deal going. Turns out not really. She wants the money because she's got this new guy who's a businessman in her life. Womp, womp. And, yeah. and so they start talking about the murder while he's there. And he passes right out, mm-hmm. right? It just, it overwhelms him and out, yeah, out he goes. Clerks are like talking about the murder in the other room. Or they're sort of saying like, hey, this person got murdered. And meanwhile, the, the, the guy talking to him is like, yeah, you need to pay your landlady. And he's listening to them talk about this in murder. Room, yeah. And he's like, 
Oh, just sort of passes out. <laughs> yeah. And one police inspector was like, hmm, that's suspicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of puts it together that this kid is doing this. So he goes home, freaks out, realizes he hasn't hidden anything, that the bits of his socks and trousers are still covered in blood, that he's like, he's got all of these problems. He shoves them behind his wallpaper. Clearly there's a bulge behind the wallpaper. <laughs> he just can't seem to get it right. And yeah. so in, in a flurry of effort... He ends up hiding all of the money under a rock in some abandoned lot somewhere. And he's just going to leave it there, right? He's going to leave it there for two years until he can go back and get it. And he feels that this is especially clever. Okay. Um, so, and then he goes back home and passes out. He has a friend named Rez- Rezumikin. Rezumikin? Mm-hmm. Rezumikin, like, yeah. Rezumikin, uh, who is, his, his name in Russian kind of means good sense or a person hmm. that kind of has their, their life together. Okay. And he is an absolute peach. He, is he really is. is. Mm-hmm. He finds okay. Razumikin sick and then nurses him. Yeah, Raskolnikov sick and nurses him back to health and at the same time takes uh, some rubles that he had left over and goes and buys him like a really nice suit and presents mm. it in the most adorable way ever. He's like, what would you think I got for these pants? You might say 10 rubles. You may say 20 rubles. It was eight. And then they'll like show them. And he's like, look, they don't even have that many holes. And it is adorable. He gets him a hat and he's like, this isn't one of those shabby hats. It's a good hat from a good hat seller. You say, how do they know each other? They went to school together. Yeah, they're old college buddies. So he starts to nurse him back to health. At the same time, um, one of... So Raskolnikov had received... Let's see. I'm wondering how how deeply to go into all of this. How, how what where are we? I on wouldn't the worry about the Dunia letter losing thing. Yeah, I was wondering if I should. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I don't have enough time for that. So there's a whole sub sub plot about his, his sister getting, getting married, married to, to a dirtbag for money, and yeah, yeah. And, and she's she's a noble creature that has to do this because Raskolnikov's um, inability to finish being a student has cast his family into poverty. Right. Yeah. So all of this stuff kind of happens to him as he is sick and having problems and everyone thinks that he's in some sort of weird psychological days and doctors come and see him and every once in a while he'll sneak out and do something. One time he goes and thinks about committing suicide but sees a woman drown herself instead and he's like, well, that doesn't seem like a very fun way to go. So he doesn't do that. Um, And he goes and revisits the scene, which is obviously a really bad idea, starts asking about where all the blood went and people are like, well, that seems awfully suspicious. And then... uh, Jellyman, remember the guy he met in that pub, yes. dies. And Raskolnikov kind of gets in touch with his daughter, Sonia. And his daughter, Sonia, because, because that guy had a penchant for spending all the family's money, had turned to prostitution. It was something she had to do to keep her family alive. And so she would be a prostitute. She had a little yellow ticket that meant she was a prostitute. And she would send all of the money to her family, right? She lived with barely anything in a nasty, weird, oblong apartment with all funny angles. Mm. And all of her money was going to the family because Jellyman was going to spend it all. So Raskolnikov meets this girl. Um, and she is meek and mild and good-natured. And, and well, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. She is she, sacrificing herself for the good of her family. But she is so she's sort of meek and timid because of the cruel world she she has to circle in. Sure. Right. And so Raskolnikov feels for this girl and he really feels for the family of of Marmaladov and he routinely will give money to them. We actually see a weird generous streak in Raskolnikov. He'll give money to people who are downtrodden, girls that need help. Hmm. He'll just leave huge sums of money that he could have used to for all kinds of good things, right? Weirdly enough, he wanted to get money in the first place right. to start some campaign of goodness, and he just keeps on giving away money that isn't his to give away. It's usually from his mom. Yeah, he was supposed to like take this cash and make something of himself, and then he's just giving it, it away. away. He's just giving it all away because because his natural sort of his natural charity shines through. And then, oh. but in those scenes where he gives it away, then he'll get really mad at himself. He's like, "Bah! What am I doing this for? This is ridiculous. I'm." You know, three percent of the population has to go to prostitution every year, anyway. Yeah, he's like, yeah. oh, I'm an alpha, I'm an alpha male. Why am I giving away all this money? Right? Like <laughs> yeah. He said it. yeah, I was going to ask you: Does the book view, does the book interpret it as charity, or is it is he giving away too much? Is it clear? No, that it's it's charity. It it's is? pretty clearly okay. charity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though he gives it away for bad, re- it's not bad reasons. It's good reasons. He he. We simply see a split nature, and okay. his name in Russian actually means split. Okay. So we see a compulsion to be generous and good and help people and then the immense instant regret of those actions as he applies his own philosophy to his own mind which we will meet in a second okay so 
There, all sorts of stuff happens, and it's kind of the slow progression of the case against him as he sticks his foot in all kinds of cow pies. Like, once he takes one of the inspectors to a bar, and he's like, here's what I would have done if I was the murderer. I would take all the money. I would hide it under a rock. You'd never find it. Here's what else I would do. I would do it with something like an axe. He just gives yeah. all these details yeah, right. and really freaks the guy out. And obviously the guy's like... All right, so he passes out in the, in the police right. station while they're talking about it, and now he's, like, talking giving me all these crazy details. Raskolnikov would have had a home on, like, certain subreddits. Oh. Like, like, I sometimes <laughs> think about what Raskolnikov would be like if he had the internet, or sure. if the internet sort of has this proclivity to create people who are like Raskolnikov, mm. who have a, like, inflated sense of their own abilities, and, um, and, and take like a particular kind of joy of being like an outsider to mm-hmm. civil society. Yeah. And he'll and, sort uh, of like taunt people with yeah. it and then alternatively think I'm so good at this. And then all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, I'm terrible. I'm forgetting all sorts of details. Oh no. And then he'll sort of pass out and sleep for four yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm so dark. I'm so bad. Uh, I'm on the outside. Is there uh, blood on my the, shoes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he does have guilt. Like he does feel bad about what he did, even though his philosophy says he shouldn't. Right? Doesn't Because he, he doubles down on this like, I did the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. The whole yeah. book he doubles down on it yeah. intellectually. Yes. But then it's almost like his own soul is crying out against his intellectual wow. sin or okay. his intellectual mistake. Sure. Yeah. And so then you get this war inside where he feels naturally charitable to people, but then intellectually he's like, I am their betters. I am. I should, I, I should be rising above the this and using he... using my cash to like make myself great, like Napoleon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Is, so we're actually right. going to get to that theory yeah. in just okay. a sec. Okay. So he eventually goes and visits the home of Porfiry, the investigator, who is Graham's favorite character. He's one of. Yeah, I think he's a he's a hero of mine. I feel. I feel like we we always talk about what characters we are in the books, and I don't know. I think Porfiry is a pretty good character you. for you. Appreciate it. Right, it's he's played, played by Ian, McDerm- Ian McDermott, McDonald, uh, the guy who the guy plays, plays the, Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, oh, he plays him in uh, the BBC version of Crime and Punishment. And just he, nails it. Really, he, it's good. Yes. Just okay. It's oh, great. Good. I mean, the the only thing is that Porfirio is supposed to be about thirty five, and mm-hmm. he's not thirty five. Mm-hmm. But in every other detail, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. What, why do you like Porfirio so much, Graham? Um, he, I like him. Be, I like him for a very specific scene that comes at the end of the book. Okay, um, where he. Tells Raskolnikov, he's like, I'm going to arrest you in a couple of days, but I'm giving you this opportunity to save your soul. Um, there's, a, there's, there's a certain kind of just like um, Porphyry or Porphyry. He's just got like an, uh, a keen sense into the human, into like the psychology of the criminal, which is not something that I necessarily find all that interesting. But the fact that he's got this profound sense into the motivations of people and um, and also a concern for but those then also who a are concern not necessarily his favorite people. That's ever. right. And yeah. then also a concern for the soul of the people who are all mm-hmm. like got their heads all turned mm-hmm. into this like dark philosophy of theirs. But he doesn't like Raskolnikov. Raskolnikov is not a likable sure. guy. Yes, sure. Um, <laughs> Only Razumikin likes Raskolnikov and yeah. heaven knows why. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So He's pretty we? much a pain to everybody else. So at, at one point, Raskolnikov and Razumikin both go to visit Porfiry in his parlor. Okay. And... It's under the guise of Raskolnikov asking about some of the things that he pawned to the pawnbroker, right? If everybody else comes looking for the things they pawned and he's the only one who doesn't, it looks really suspicious. <laughs> so he decides he's going to go look for the things that he pawned. Mm, Porfiry spends the whole book wearing a smoking jacket, house coat, which is another reason why I love him. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was some kind of no, hint. No. Okay. He's like an, a police inspector and he goes around like looking all... Smoking a pipe and drinking a cup of tea <laughs> and wearing like a smoker's jacket. Yeah, like, it's a, he, he kind of like wears slippers all the time. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's so great. And so they go to his and he brings he brings up an article that Raskolnikov wrote, it turns out several months earlier and it got oh. published and Raskolnikov had oh. no idea it had gotten published yes. and it outlines his theory about the criminal. And one of the things that... It's sort of in the subtext of the actual article... But it's brought out in conversation by Porfiry to sort of plumb exactly the motivations of Raskolnikov. Yes. And it's, we call it great man theory. And he might have just titled the article like murdering old ladies, not a big deal. Like, <laughs> that's essentially what it is. Does, does he get that specific in there? Not to, um, not to the degree about old uh, women. But, not to the... Um, but, but he is talking about... Take from wading people. through a sea of blood is, mm. I think, a line in the, is yeah. in the paper. So it's not great. Yeah. So here's the basic theory. There are two types of people in this world. There are the extraordinary people who are capable of doing or saying something new. Um, and then there are the people who are regos, regulars, <laughs> like 
like the normies. Me. The normies. Their job is to reproduce and keep the world going. And they live according to the rules and they enjoy living according to the rules. They don't break laws and they like it that way. And they are scared and mistrustful of the great man. Yes. And so his his theory is that the great man, if he has to do something, like if he has a big, he calls it a new word to bring to society then if there are obstacles in his way preventing him from bringing this new word to society that would move it forward, he is allowed to give himself the moral allowance to do anything that is necessary to bring that to society. Mm -hmm. And it has to be in proportion to his idea. So if his idea is like a new way to change a tire, like that's his, the the things he could do is maybe like steal a couple of dollars from a neighbor. But if it's like, this is going to change the way that we view the universe and the way that we make all of our machines. And it's like the invention of toilet paper. Then he can, he can like <laughs> sacrifice several lives okay. to do it. He can give himself the moral right now. He that says doesn't mean he's not going to feel yeah. bad about it. Right. And it doesn't mean that society won't punish him for it. In fact, he probably will be punished for it. The but society he, is going to have a backlash against him overstepping these laws, but he they will feel, probably kill him. Yeah. But he won't feel bad. He won't. He, well, he can, he might feel bad, but he is, he can allow himself to do it within himself yeah. to overstep those obstacles and they'll even probably praise him two generations from now right he'll be remembered as a great man who moved things forward but Does probably kill him examples is this yes so okay. he brings up and, and one of the reasons he thinks this is because some of the greatest men who have moved things forward are people who have by necessity broken laws to bring a new law you must by your nature bring a criminal yeah. and break the old laws the things that were cherished by your fathers. so yeah. he brings up lycurgus the founder of sparta to found Sparta, he had to abandon some other law and establish a new one, Main, meaning he was a lawbreaker mm. and he was bloodthirsty. The dude did wars. Right. Solon, uh, a great Athenian. I don't know why he brought up Solon because Solon is a pretty peaceful guy. Right. But, but then he brings up Napoleon and Muhammad and they, they were establishing a new law, a new way for man to be. Yep. Yeah. And to do that, they had to break some old law. He says if Isaac Newton was in the position where his theory of gravity uh, and his all and calculus or whatever was going to be hindered by somebody isaac newton would have the moral right within himself Mm -hmm. to remove that person so that his new mathematical proofs of the universe could come forward not that he's obligated to break laws all the time just not any law just anything that's getting in the way of your thing of him being able to so it's not like you can you know feel good about about like blowing through stop signs wherever you go. Sure. But as long as those stop signs are hindering you on your progress towards a greater future, but is then it actually, you can't. Does he actually go further than that? Is it actual, um, would Newton have an obligation in that situation to do whatever it takes for his ideas to be shared? Or is it just he could choose? If Newton knows he's a great man, I, then ah. he does have an internal obligation. So the only way to know is you you yourself know if you're great or yes. not. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. And There's nothing wrong with this, right? Or you test yourself. Yeah. Good. Is that true? There's a test? Wait. So... He he even says, "Is there a death? There's a special birthmark." Oh, is that? <laughs> well, that's what Porphyry, Porphyry says. Porphyry asks. Really? The next question like, is, "What if there's a mix-up? What if someone, one of the so normies, funny. thinks yeah. that he's a Grady? Uh-huh. And is there like a birthmark, or are there special stars they're born under, or what's the deal?" Because Porphyry's here? like, "Because you know, I have the utmost respect for these great men, but I'm a little nervous about sure, how yes. many of them there are. <laughs> yeah, because the, they're, they're, they're running around killing people. Yeah. I, I'm, well, police, I I'm a police inspector, so I just want to know and." Yeah, and Raskolnikov says, "Well, it happens a lot. People think that they're greater than their station, and they go off to accomplish one of these things. And usually, what happens is they don't amount to much because they're not great. Their word wasn't actually new in the first place, or they don't have the capacity to accomplish it. So they will punish themselves, and the society, their brethren around them, will punish them. So they won't succeed. They'll try and they'll fail." revealing their non-greatness and it happens all the time and it's not really a big deal people try to accomplish things it's like people try to start businesses that they think are great and it just doesn't go anywhere right you don't kill people when you start businesses but I, yes. well <laughs> it depends on the business i guess depends that, on okay. what kind of conspiracy theory news you're reading <laughs> good great so this is his great man theory that there are those among us who have the internal right to break these laws and if you're feeling uncomfortable with this i might hearken back to the american revolutionaries right they felt it was necessary to pull down a law, a cherished law, the veneration of the British king, in order to establish a new law. They were revolutionaries. They broke laws. They were, from the perspective of the British crown, criminals, right? There are many of these. Julius Caesar, also a criminal. He broke a lot of laws. You can't cross the river bringing a with an, with an army bringing them into Rome. You're not allowed to do that. You're also not allowed to kill other senators, right? just randomly, if you want to. He broke some laws. 
Um, Napoleon also broke some laws, right? There are actually, I don't know if Napoleon broke a lot of laws. He certainly shed a lot of blood. F, he was exiled once and returned. So, and so probably that exiled law. a second time. So at least at that point. Um, but yes, I don't think Newton bro- shed a lot of blood, but he certainly brought new ideas that no one had thought before. Right. Uh, I can't help but think of Galileo. Right. He got in a big trouble for his whole we aren't at the center of things idea. Right. So you if you are railing against this, you have to come to grips with the notion that a lot of the men that we believe are great were lawbreakers in themselves. Doesn't so I like, miss the point, though, like those people weren't saying I'm special, therefore I'll do whatever I want to. Um, because there has to be some like commensurate ideas have consequences. And I agree with that part of it, but you, uh, that's normie talk there. Is that how this works? No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> as not a great man. I guess I can, <laughs> sorry. I guess I'm not one of your, the two great men on this podcast. I apologize, but yeah, I'm just, I'm again, I'm sure this is being set up as like for us to be able to then critique it. Well, well, I mean, the fact is that this is garbage nope. and doesn't, isn't a real thing. Like this isn't mm-hmm. the way the universe works. Why not? Tell me why it's wrong. Because again, this is this is my question of like because those people did have to break laws. Um, sometimes, again, the um, what started America led to bloodshed, right? And people had to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, my my point is that Lycurgus and Caesar and Napoleon and Isaac Newton are not v- vacuums or islands. That like, it's not the, the, their life is a series of. Um, pitches and swings and they made contact in, in um i'm not saying that it was a completely random choice a random chance i'm just saying that like um um something like a sparta was going to happen somewhere and so it's not that like Kurgis has a moral ability to um uh to break laws it's just that when we look back we say like Kurgis did this but when it's actually unfolding in front of you, you can't say, like, Kurgis is going to do this, therefore he, we, are, we can justify his murder or oh, justify his, his Nobody crimes. around needs to. Only, only like Kurgis needs to know that his, his mission is a good one, and he clearly did. Yeah. Th- yeah. Okay. Same, and then there's a problem then when you have everybody who thinks this way. Sure. But the same <laughs> point is what Graham just said, that these aren't just individuals acting as if they are great men, right? It's, you're saying these are, like, larger social forces that agree certain changes need to happen and then there are consequences to those decisions. I'm not saying that there's no great people in history um, I'm just um, wondering how cognizant of their greatness they are when they're doing the thing doesn't or matter. how much of that driver it is it doesn't matter I don't think it matters mm. I think according to Raskolnikov's theory yeah. like I don't need to be think as I'm doing it I am a great man I need to think this law needs to be broken because my purpose is a grand one Mm-hmm. And that makes me great. So then he, and he's just, he's, it, it, it is a, a belief of praising the iconoclast or praising the contrarian who has a better vision of how things should go. Sure. Which I can Iconoclast, I can maybe not. That. Yeah. Maybe, so, yeah. The contrarian, the, the, um, the well, revolutionary is probably a better word. Yeah. They don't just pick the opposite side. They want to change things according to Raskolnikov for the better and move the world forward. Sorry, I'm, I'm playing devil's no, advocate that's fine, here. Totally fine. I want to give his, Instead of dismissing it offhand, I want to not do a straw man here and give his theory its real due. Because the book itself never gives you the solution to this theory. It mm-hmm. never solves it for you. It only solves it metaphorically, which is one of the, it's the criticisms. It's metaphorical. The, they, it's one of the criticisms of Dostoevsky, right? With his Inquisitor epi- criticism, it never intellectually solves it for you. Mm-hmm. It solves it. Which is spiritually, a, well, right? It's a Russian term. history solves it for yeah. you. <laughs> but, no, yes. But, but even Crime and Punishment answers this question. Raskolnikov, I guess, would you Ruin just say it. he wasn't a... Spoil it. No, not, no. Th- not, not to that. He has had the, the sickness that comes after murder already at this point. Like, he, are you questioning just whether, was he just not great in the first well, place? Well, that's the thing. Is the theory, I think the yeah. easy, easy way is to apply this theory and say, well, he's not a great man. He right. made a mistake. Mm-hmm. His... His idea was not a new one. He didn't have a new idea. There was nothing grand driving him. The only idea he had at best was this. And this isn't even that new of an idea. They even talk about it when the article comes up, right? That a lot of this has been said before. Yeah. He, his only question was whether or not he was great. And he was wrong. He even, t- he even admits to that later mm-hmm. in the book. He says, I wanted to dare. I wanted to see if I was Napoleon. And he is tortured by the notion that he is wrong. So if we are to comp- correctly apply the theory, 
He is torturing himself. Right. He is tortured. He is punished by his fellows, and he did not accomplish his goal. The only conclusion you can make is that he was not originally a great man. He's a normie. He's a normie, <laughs> and he's real cheesed off about it. And so, and so, even the book doesn't really solve the theory for you. Sure. That doesn't mean the theory is wrong. It just means Fair. he's on the wrong side of it. Sure. There still seems something like uh, again that it's centered on one person's idea of what great change should look like. Just doesn't do credit to there is a Russian identity. The right answer for what Russia should do is not made by. It's not only made by individuals, um, but individuals are involved. Mm-hmm. Of course they are. But um, again, there's the right person at the right time and all the social conditions have come together. Because uh, I'm one, we do need uh, great thinkers putting forward great ideas. It's the bloodshed that then gets in, instead of it being a um, then moving to persuasion or then moving to um, how do I incorporate other people's ideas to bring about this change? It's that force is the only way to do it that I think that's the. He, he said overstep obstacles. If those obstacles can be overstepped with rhetoric, I think he'd be fine with that. But there are those that can't. The American Revolution is perhaps an example. Uh, but that's the different. abolition of slavery. But that's different than, I mean, there were still royalists who live in who lived in the United States that weren't all killed for their disagreement. There, like there is something fundamentally different to from they didn't there was not a force for 100% agreement on these issues. No, they but, overstepped obstacles to the accomplishment of their goal, which yeah. I still think is what Wes Kalnikov has asked for. Yeah. And again, I mean, that's where there would be boundaries on what, because again, for change to happen, obstacles must be overcome. Mm-hmm. It's at the point where violence is brought in that some type of boundary has been overstepped. Again, uh, I think, I think that's where, again, this is what I appreciate in um, Dostoevsky that like, it's, uh, it's complicated. Like, there's a lot of truth to what he's saying, mm-hmm. but he goes too far. Uh, so would you say that violence is never appropriate? No, I'm, I'm not an obstacle. I would not begrudge someone who is for saying that. Um, yeah, I don't know how I would. Yeah, I, and this is a broader. I would. I would tend to be more comfortable with with uh, violence that's in self defense as opposed to um, initiated. But that's probably a bigger separate conversation. Sure. Yeah. Again, I think it's. I think that's the. It is not so. If if Raskolnikov in the beginning had gone to the pawn bro- the pawnbroker and said. Hey, there. Here is this cause that if you donated your money to, we could like change the city and persuaded her to do it. That she is an obstacle still, but it's overcome through rhetoric, not through violence. Mm-hmm. Does, he, does that make sense? He would still accomplish his goal, um, but it wouldn't involve killing her. That I mean, that's the part that is a problem. Oh yeah, we can all. I think we can all agree that Raskolnikov is a total doofus. Yes, sure. And that maybe it doesn't apply his force in the right ways. Yes. There are times when force was appropriate yeah. right some of caesar's goals could not be accomplished without force right um it's also hard it, this is a separate episode i want to do at some point and just because we're you know 10 minutes before the end of this one but like we only have 10 minutes left 13 if you're counting great but, golly um yeah like the um it, it's hard for us to even look back and understand the use and appropriate use of violence like to read beowulf violence is a necessity because it's a different age and social structure than we have now uh, this will be a separate topic for another time. But yeah, I think violence is the point where I'm pushing back on for this. And it was super cool. What was it? Yeah, shields and swords and yes, yeah. but also people died all the time mm, and fair point. in mm-hmm. combat. So that was not great. Do you want to Donaldson? No, I'm just saying like, mm. what's your problem with it? I, I don't have a problem with the violence. I think some, some goals are violently achieved, right? The end of Nazi Germany was violently achieved and, and the establishment of the American nation, not that necessarily America is a good in and of itself, but many people regard that as a good move and it was achieved with violence. Um, I, I have a hard time ascribing like a, a view of history that sort of says we've got this sort of upward slanting slope of progress towards better betterment. And um, if there are impediments on that slope that need to be overcome by violence, then we do them. Um, uh, so you I need to, for Raskolnikov's view to work, you need to have a, um, low view of people. So like the, the pawnbroker would not be convinced if you talk to her. <laughs> um, and you need to have a, uh, a hope in the future. Um, and you, which is, and you need to have a, um, a view that, the problems in the world that exist can be solved by reorganizing the systems 
that exist. Um, and can many of the problems of the world not be solved by reorganizing a system? No, like the fundamental problems. If uh, yeah, the fundamental problems can't, um, the problems that can be reorganized that will benefit human beings don't need. I don't think need to be solved by violence except when it's like the examples that you've given like a belligerent nation who is um like a nazi germany who is actually trying to enact raskolnikov's ideas in the world um the american revolution against against england um it matters that the violent portion of the revolution was started by the british right that they fired the first shot like isn't that that I think that changes some of it. Same with the World War II example. That violence was done before even America mm-hmm. entered into uh, World War II. We entered because of Pearl Harbor, ultimately. Uh, so an attack on Americans then triggered a response there. So and there's also the liberation of the Bastille, the French Revolution. Yeah, like there there are innumerable times when violence has that that after the fact we see the violence as a good thing. Yeah, but that's again um, maybe we're all kind of trying to get to the same point violence violence is the first course of option is what is troubling again i'm focused on the raskolnikov incident he did not entertain other options he jumped straight to i'm gonna go kill the lady Mm -hmm. well that's because he wanted to see if he if it was if he could do it he just wanted to see if he could do it if he could dare to step above everybody else if he was napoleon right that's why he didn't consider anything else is because nothing else would have proved to him that he was great yeah that scene that you're referring to as he's confessing the murders to sonia he says i wanted to see if i had what it took i wanted to dare i wanted to like see if i had the cojones to to kill somebody and he didn't and i did but i couldn't deal with it right yeah so and so in other words so then he so it was more like the murder was a litmus test to see if he was great as opposed to a first step of a like entrepreneurial plan right but the but the the great men are not proved by their act again they're not proved by their act of violence they're proved by the um the direction which they're pointing the country the group of people whatever to it's not proven and can i kill for the sake of my vision Right. Ah, so I no, think they get caught up in a thing that they can't get out of, and then they end up being the the center point of that sure. thing. And then when historians look back, they're like, "Man, Napoleon." But that's not. I mean, that's not always true. I think there are people who push for revolution. So, sure. Thomas, I think you've touched on the way that I've solved it for myself, which is let's go. The, one of the things that that Raskolnikov doesn't address is a cohesive vision of the future. He keeps on talking about moving the world forward mm-hmm. and improving things and moving the world. He even uses the word goal, mm-hmm. like moving the world toward its goal. But he never talks about what, what that is. is. Yeah. And without a clear vision of the future, then you never know if a great man is actually contributing or detracting. Right. You end up with what one of my students pointed out was chaos. If sure. I'm a great man and you're a great man and I'm willing to kill to get my thing done and you're willing to kill to get your thing done, we might end up just killing each other or right. a lot of I'll kill a lot of your friends. You'll kill a lot of my friends, right. which doesn't help. And so the... For Raskolnikov, the right to overstep boundaries is in accordance with your idea. And I think he's close to the truth. I think what one, one another one of my students a couple of years ago, uh, if you're listening, great job, buddy, is he said, there are no great men, only great purposes. And what he pointed out was that most of these great men have not done the things on their own. There are a few, Newton, right? But a lot of them had huge followings, massive armies, and put themselves at risk. They weren't sa- just sacrificing other people. They risked the sacrifice of themselves. Julius Caesar is one of these, right? Mm-hmm. Napoleon is one of these. Lycurgus is one of these. All of those men were willing to sacrifice themselves. So mm. clearly, mm-hmm. what they were sacrificing themselves was for was a purpose. And this, this reminds me of a G.K. Chesterton thing. One of the reasons that he thinks that the church is important is because it gives a cohesive, unmoving vision for what the future should look like, what a perfect world looks like. So real progress is made only if we pursue that. And so I think, Thomas, what you touched on is that the idea of the man doesn't matter. Right. It's what he's pointing to. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm going to liken this back to, like, the Tao, a central vision for the future, right? The reason that America rebelled is because they saw something unfair in the law. The law was not adhering to the way that man should be organized, right? right? It wasn't right. Something was wrong. And then like Hergis established a law, not because he was overthrowing an old one, but because he had a group of people that needed one. rule, right? Right. Uh, Napoleon saw a, a France in turmoil and he tried to unite France to make it a better place to live, or at least in the beginning, and then widen his 
his territory. And so really what these men are doing is not like bring in their own new idea. What they are trying to do is get the world to adhere better to what C.S. Lewis calls the Tao, right? Sure. The, the way that the world should function, a singular vision of utopia. And at some point, if like, if a nation is way off of that utopia, if say people are being abused, everyone is poor, everything is terrible, maybe revolution and violence is necessary, right? Those rules must be broken because they are evil rules, right? So I would say that it is not the level of your idea that gives you the right to overstep obstacles. I would say that it is the goodness of your purpose that allows you to move forward. And, and you can overstep obstacles who are truly evil, right? Yep. Things that are bad for the world and bad for man. Yep. And so what Raskolnikov did worked with his theory, but it, it, it doesn't work with that theory. Did killing the pawnbroker actually bring more good into the world? No, it made no. the world way worse. Yep. Did it align with how man should function? No. Was there a cohesive vision for utopia? No. All of those things were broken. That's how I solve it for myself. Yeah, I, I like it, except there's also, when you think of the ultimate righteous cause was not, was, had, had violence, but it was violence done on the great man. Yes. And so this. So then in that sense, like, I don't know. So then we're talking about the gospel, like, yeah, yes. the gospel. Yeah. Um, so then, and then this is kind of like the question of the Grand Inquisitor, which is probably the closest podcast that is a sister to this one that we're talking about. And that's what the Grand Inquisitor is asking Jesus. He's like, you had the power to, like, alleviate all this suffering. Why did you not? Um, and so, I don't know. I just don't uh, Knowing that Dostoevsky is, a, you know, uh, Eastern Orthodox committed man to the gospel, um, how does that fit into... Well, I think it fits in in that, as I pointed out, many of these men were willing to sacrifice their own lives for the good, right? Yes. And mm -hmm. like many of them were. Julius Caesar fought at the forefront. Uh, he never rested. He was in the field with his men. And his purpose was not necessarily the one that was going to do the most good for man. And like C.S. Yeah, Lewis... Maybe, not wasn't, maybe Napoleon's wasn't either. Yeah, but like C.S. Lewis points out, right, the there are obviously misunderstandings about what is good for man and good for the world. And people will fight for that thing, but mm -hmm. they're not fighting for an idea that like, I don't know, they, mm -hmm. they're how great we see them will be how well that adheres to the Tao, I think. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is what allows them the ability to step forward. It is not like they're cojones. It's the, how, the how idea. is, it's how a... is, how great is the pull of that purpose? Yep. I do still worry that then you get utopian thinkers who, well, utopia is perfect, therefore much violence is allowed, correct? Wouldn't that fit with what you're... Uh, yeah. Well, if violence is a piece of that utopia, and I think that we we see that happen. Like, people fight for what they think is a utopian world, and maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but I think they're evaluated not on, like, do they have the right in themselves? The question is not, do they have the right, but does their purpose give them license to do the things that they've done yeah. and are the laws that they're breaking evil laws laws that hurt man or good laws laws that help man sure. yeah how much violence would actually need to happen to eliminate all crime in new york city like right. all crime every single cr I piece mean, of crime everyone until there's only one person there right i, I get mean, yeah and or how many and how much how many freedoms would need to be curtailed exactly. and, and these sorts of things right. so yeah so that's that's how i've answered it for myself mm -hmm. um i'm fairly comfortable with the, the answer I think it's an all right one. And I'm glad I'm going to post this for my students after they revise their great man papers. <laughs> Good. So Smart. if you're listening to this and you're a senior, <laughs> nice try. jokes on you. Um, but Do yeah, you that's, that's kind of the way I figure it out. Do you want to cover the end of the book also? Do you want to keep going? Um, well, we've got two minutes left. Uh, I, I feel bad just flat out to... spoiling it for everybody. Great. There's so much more in this book. I was actually hoping to get to the point where um, Dostoevsky himself outlines the idea of the novel in three points oh. in his in his notes at the end of the oh, book. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Sam. Uh, Are you interested? Yeah, yeah. So, the idea of the novel, as it's entitled in his notes. Wow. Number one, orthodox view, what orthodoxy is. I don't know how that relates. I think that's a question for another time. How cool. does orthodoxy relate to the novel? Number two, there is no happiness in comfort. Happiness is purchased by suffering. We see this again and again. Sonia, the prostitute, is... He actually says on the on the page opposite of what I'm reading, it says Svidrigailov is despair, the most cynical. Mm -hmm. He's a character you meet late in the book that is kind of like the working out of Raskolnikov's theories in like if Raskolnikov has succeeded, he'd be this guy. And he's got the like luckiest, cushiest life you could Ever. imagine. And anytime he does something stupid, like 
he just gets a Deus Ex Machina salvation wow. and gets to like everything works out. Live happy. Sonia miserable. Sonia <laughs> is hope, the most unrealizable. And so he, so Sonia is hope, Svidrigailov is despair, and Raskolnikov is caught between these two extremes. Oh. Um, number three, man is not born for happiness. Man earns his happiness, and always by suffering. There is no justice there for knowledge and consciousness of life, uh, i.e. directly felt by body and soul, i.e. by all life process. So this is clearly a notebook, right? Not, not all of it's going to make full sense. Sure. Is acquired by experience pro and contra, which one must get through one's own by suffering. Such is the law of our planet. But that direct knowledge felt by life process is such a great joy that one can pay for it by years of suffering. So your consciousness of life, your salvation is, is bought by suffering, by experiencing the process of life. Um, in his image in the novel is expressed the idea of extraordinary pride, arrogance, and contempt for all society. His idea is to take that society into his power. Despotism is a trait of his. It goes to meet him. So those three ideas... What orthodoxy is, I don't really know how that connects. He's not very clear. Number two, there is no happiness and comfort. It's purchased by suffering. And three, man is not born for happiness. Man earns his happiness and always by suffering. There's not a great difference between two and three. <laughs> sure, right. uh, clearly a notebook, right? Yeah. One thing I've heard about uh, Russian literature is people say, okay, um, English literature, um, I will die for honor. French literature, I will die for love. American literature, I will die for freedom. Russian literature, I will die. <laughs> good. I love it. I like it. All right. That's, uh, I, ho I hope that was that's good. That was, that was good. good. Thank you. Good stuff. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. Um, you, you know where to find us. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yep. Bye.